Good evening. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Indianapolis, Indiana, and actually Fishers, Indiana, a little bit to the north of Indianapolis. And uh, that's where we're doing the broadcast from. And we're going to Denver, Colorado, or in that vicinity. I think it's in Denver. And we'll talk in a minute with our two guests from Denver, Colorado. I would like to thank everybody for joining uh, the show. You can subscribe to this podcast. It's an iTunes podcast. You can subscribe to it. And I would like to thank you for listening and uh, hope that all of you keep uh, encouraged about uh, world language study and, and promote it as much as you can around the country. Uh, we b- we're very blessed to be able to do this with great technology. Uh, uh, Eric and uh, Lise are out in Denver, Colorado, and I'm in Fishers, Indiana. And that's a long way from here. But uh, via Skype, um, I'm able to see them and talk to them. But we record the actual show, the audio, on GarageBand, which is an Apple product. And, uh, but we're very happy that we're able to do that and uh, share our podcast with all of you. Uh, we like to be very positive about things. In our last show, we had um, Elizabeth and Denise on uh, from Chicago, and we shared a lot of great things and good ideas that they have. And um, that's one thing we like to do on the show, a very positive uh, attitude about things and bringing new things as much as we can, new techniques of teaching or whatever uh, in world language study. Um, we're going to start now with um, our guest, and I'd like them to introduce themselves. Uh, Eric, you want to go? Well, let's let Lisa go first, okay? Lisa? Okay. Okay. My name is Lisa Olson Dufour, and I teach Chinese at Grandview High School in Aurora, Colorado, which is southeast of Denver. And, and uh, my name is Eric Olson Dufour, and I teach. Uh, French at uh, Cherokee Trail High School, which is also in Aurora, Colorado, south of uh, Denver, and we uh, work for the same district. It's called the uh, Cherry Creek School District. How, how far are you from Denver? It's not very far, though, right? We're about 30 minutes 30 minutes. Yeah, I, I th- yeah I, was, I thought it was pretty close. So it's like a suburb, right? A well, little, yeah, t- yeah. little yeah. town right suburb. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, now, um, We'll start with Lise uh, first. What what brought you to teach Chinese? That, <laughs> that's not everybody's language. I mean, Chinese is a little difficult, right? Yeah, and you, it's a long road for sure. Um, I, my, my first thought, my first thought, my first thought is you must be very very smart, right? Uh, <laughs> Eric, can you? you Eric can. Studying Chinese made me smarter. I don't think I was that smart before I started studying Chinese. Um, I actually studied uh, French when I was in high school. I went through AP French, and I was kind of a middle-of-the-road French student. I wasn't very good at um, following grammatical rules and things like that, but I enjoyed speaking French and um, enjoyed studying language. And when I went to college, I wanted to study other languages, and I started with German, as a matter of fact. And being a girl who doesn't like grammar very much, that was not the best choice for me. But I did study German for two years. And uh, my sophomore year of college, I just, I don't know why I had all these languages in my mind, but I decided I wanted to try a non-Western language. And uh, that was in the late 1980s. This was 1988. I asked the people around me, friends of my parents and things like that, should I take Chinese or should I take Japanese? And at that time, uh, the answer that I got from most people was, 
if you're interested in business and finance, you should take Japanese. And if you're interested in history and culture and philosophy, you should take Chinese. So on that basis, I chose Chinese. And I can't tell you why, but I just loved the language. I just fell in love with the language. So I studied abroad my uh, junior year in mainland China. And then after I graduated from college, I was an East Asian studies major in college. And then I went to Taiwan and did a year-long intensive language uh, training program called the Inter-University Program in Taipei. And then I went to graduate school and used Chinese as a research language. I actually ended up uh, learning Japanese as well. And so Eric and I spent a year living in Japan while I was studying mm-hmm. Japanese. 97, 96. Yeah, and uh, I actually didn't intend to be neither a high school teacher nor a language teacher. My original intention, my hope was to uh, teach at the university level, and I wanted to be teaching um, Asian studies or religious studies, something like that. But um, to make a long story short, I ended up staying home with our kids when they were born, and when our youngest daughter, Amanda, was ready for first grade, Grandview High School decided to add a Chinese language program to their uh, curriculum, and it was just uh, serendipitous. I was nearby, and I applied for the job and Mm -hmm. got the job and have been working there ever since. This is year 13 now. Mm -hmm. And I I was at this high school before, and I was, before she was hired, I was on the committee to add another foreign language, and myself, I wanted to have Arabic at my school, and there was an Arabic committee and a Chinese committee, and we both presented, and then... At the end, the, the decision was that we, would, we were going to have a Chinese at our school. So I came back very disappointed and I told Lisa, I cannot believe we're not going to have Arabic. We're going to have Chinese. And Lisa said, And I said, oh. yeah, I can she do said, Chinese. Oh, maybe I can apply. And Lisa <laughs> applied and was hired and I asked to be transferred and I went to a, a different school. <laughs> there is such a thing, too much togetherness, we decided. Now, are you in different schools now? No. Yes, so the same district. But, but different schools. schools. So, uh, Lisa, your school is, is it a big school? Uh, we're about 2,800 students right now. So it is a big school. It's a pretty big school, but it's not as big as Eric's. Yes. And so you have 2,800 students, and is that four grades? I yes. take it four grades. Yes, now, nine. Nine through 12. Uh, and are, are you the head of the language program? No, I am just the Chinese teacher. Um, well, I wouldn't say just. I'm sure that's a lot of work. But you, uh, I mean, Lisa is modest, but she teaches uh, six classes. Usually when you are a full-time teacher, you teach five classes, but she has had a novel for like eight years now. So she does the whole Chinese department, the Chinese club, and the Chinese owner society. And I, I think somebody told me, don't you help with the AP grading? Yeah, I am a, I'm a table leader for the AP reading um, in the summertime, and I'm also on the AP development committee, so that's the committee that writes the AP Chinese exam. Now, I, I, I don't even want to guess how many hours a day you guys are busy, and, and I say that knowing full well, I could probably get close to how many hours, because I spent a long time, mm-hmm. some yeah, but, 35 but, years, teaching uh, at the high school level. And, but it is a lot of work and a lot of time and things. But uh, for our listeners, you would say, boy, that's, they're not, probably didn't have time for a family. Wrong, right? And they, no. have, they have two uh, just beautiful girls, right? And uh, one of them is at uh, Dartmouth, right? Mm-hmm. And the yep. other one is at Carleton, Carleton, right. Carleton College. 
in uh, in Minnesota, correct? That's right. Yep. And uh, one of them now is or is, is just got back or is still there. And uh, we have our oldest daughter. She was in uh, Senegal uh, for one semester for a study abroad program, and actually she finished her program. And both of our kids are in France now. Uh, and they're hanging out with my family and some friends. And then during the winter break, we're going to go and meet them in France. Okay. And uh, so that w- there, you'll be over there fairly soon. And what, in a few more days? We leave uh, on the 21st, yeah. And 21st. Then days, yeah. Days, yeah. Well, I bet you're excited about that. So excited. Um, so at least say this, uh, Chinese, um, are the kids, do they... Do you have any programs where they can go to China? Are you, are you, is... uh, you know, speaking of being busy, I have felt that I can't take on the job of leading trips to China. Our district is kind of uh, particular about how we do study abroad or how we do trips abroad. And they forbid us to have any kind of homestay arrangement, mm-hmm. which means that we're restricted to... Um, traveling with a with an organized group to visit you know tourist sites and things like that and my feeling has been that first of all it's as you know it's a lot of work to organize a trip um An incredible I, amount of work yes it's like a whole other prep yes I, this or, is, job. or job yes. and while our kids were young and and at home between my schoolwork and my family work i just didn't have time yes. to do that no so, I do have connections with um, some teachers in the Denver area who take trips to China, and I have sent several students over the years with right. some of these colleagues, but I have not myself led yes. a trip. Very understandable. So you, And you have six classes every day, right? Yeah, I have six classes six. Is that six out of six? Is that at the max? Is there seven periods? Or six? We have eight periods. Eight periods, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so most teachers have uh, five classes and three planning periods, and I have six classes and two planning periods. Whoa, so you are really busy. Uh, do you see Eric a lot during the day or the week? No. Uh, <laughs> not no, very no, much, no. Not during the day because we're both at school and we... Uh... Well, and certainly, even during the week, you used to say that we would say, uh, see you Friday on Sunday on Sunday night. And... Yeah, we're busy, happy but busy. Yeah, know? exactly. Um the the uh, listeners don't know this, but Eric and I are. Oh, well, I was going to talk about it. Okay, well, Eric's going to talk about that. I won't say anything. Uh, I've got a little story. If you were talking about never seeing, I was the same. Way, I was the same way with my wife. My wife, uh, I taught at uh, Ben Davis High School, and she taught in a, in a middle school in the corner. It was called Fulton. It was down on the corner, and she used to always consider her one of the best top uh, middle school Spanish teachers in the country. And I knew well how good she was because I would get her students. And they would come into my classes and they were so prepared. It was, it was a delight to get them in my class. And, uh, but I never see her the same thing. It was so busy and, and, and I had six classes at the time. And she always had six classes and, and it, was, it was busy. But um, tremendous work, Lisa. You, you, congratulations on what you're doing there with Chinese. In a high school, that is that is really something to be proud of. That you have a, such a, great, a neat program. I love it. Yeah. yeah, and you and you can tell you, you've got a passion for it. Kind of like Eric, right? He's he's uh, well. Let's ask Eric about his school and see what okay. he says. Okay. So, uh, 
myself, my little story about education is that um, I came to the U.S. when I was uh, 22, uh, and I had no idea I was going to be a French teacher. I just wanted to come to the U.S. to learn English. And uh, the only way I found was uh, be, be sorry, I finished college already in France. And the only way I found was become an assistant French teacher uh, in an American high school. And I taught my uh, French classes. I, I had like a cooperative teacher with whom I worked. And uh, then I had uh, a good friend uh, who was an assistant uh, Spanish teacher. And uh, we spent a lot of time together, and I spent a lot of time in his classroom with his cooperative teacher. And that was really the first time that uh, I thought that teaching high school could be great, because uh, that teacher with whom he was uh, uh, had a lot of passion, had a lot of humor, made it uh, very personal, had a great uh, connection with his students. And I said, well, that's a good gig. You know, I would love to... Uh, teach like that, it's, you know, it's a useful job, it's uh, much better than building bombs, you know, and, uh, uh, and you can be a bridge between the Spanish-speaking world and the English-speaking world, and you can share your experiences and your life with the students. Uh, and that uh, great teacher was you, Tom, and that was 25 years ago at uh, Ben Davis High School in 1993, so thank you for inspiring me. Well, you're very kind, thank you so much, and I... I have to tell the, the listeners that I was very inspired by Eric, Eric as well. He, he, was, he had more energy and more enthusiasm probably than any teacher I've ever known and, and when he was teaching. And he would get excited and we, would, we talked about methods and strategies and he would just loved teaching. And yep. not only did he love it, he had a creative mind and he was just, and we would always be looking for crazy things to do. And we did a lot of fun, crazy things. Yeah, and, uh, and, uh, yeah this is great. So I did that for six months. And after that, um, one thing led to another. And uh, I met some... So after that, I went to Louisiana and I taught for one year with the Council of, the De of Development of French in Louisiana, uh, in rural Louisiana, for one year. Then at that time, I had... Uh, well, I had met Lisa, so I... I didn't really want to go back to France, uh, and I went. I moved to California. I was a private French tutor, so I helped uh, high school students, and I worked in language institutes. And uh, then Lisa had to go to Tokyo, Japan, for her uh, program for her PhD to learn Japanese. So we both went to Japan for a year, and then I taught uh, French in language institutes too. Uh, and then I decided that I was going to be a, a French teacher, so I applied to uh, find a, a, a program to get a teaching uh, credential, and uh, I went back to school uh, to get my master's in education and my teaching credential, and uh, I was a, a, a student with a Lisa. We, we went to the same school, and uh, now I've been teaching for 25 years, so I, I taught in the middle schools, elementary school, high school, and uh, colleges, too. But so you both have had a wide range of experience. Amazing. Yes. And yes. Oh, and I totally forgot to say that right after I left Ben Davis High School, so like a month after I left you, uh, I went to Minnesota at Concordia Language Villages 
And uh, I talked with uh, Lisa. That's where we met. I remember you were going there. And, yeah. uh, and exactly. it, it, such a great place, to, one of the great language uh, camps of well, all time. Yeah, that, that's that's fantastic. That's, and I taught a conversation class with Lisa. Uh, and Lisa was my evaluator too, and I've been working on my evaluation for 25 years. <laughs> oh dear! So, so how long have you guys been married now? You've been married. Uh, we were married in 1994. 94. September of 94. So mm-hmm. we're coming up on 25. You're coming up on 25. Yeah, that's going to yeah. be a big, big anniversary. Wow. Yes, it is. That's yeah. that's going to be exciting. Now, where are you? Where were you from in France? Now, your kid. So your 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 gals are over with your folks, right? Uh, Well, right now, our oldest daughter turned 21, so for her birthday, she's staying like a few days in Paris with her sister, Uh and then she's going to see some of my uh, high school friends with whom we have kept in touch and Uh family, and then they're going to go, so they're in Paris, they're going to go to Lyon, then they're going to go to Toulouse in the southwest, and then we're going to go to Biarritz in the Basque country, mm-hmm. French Basque country, to hang out with my mom and my grandma, and then we're going to go all the way to Lille, uh, next to Belgium, uh, to meet with my brother for New Year's Eve. Boy, you guys are going to be busy, but it's going to be yeah. fun, of course, right? That'll be exciting, wow. Uh, for the weary, man. No, but, but it's always fun, right? Yeah. I, Eric probably never sleeps much. I remember how he was, he was always... Ex- excited about everything you know you'd come in and had this great smile and he'd be come in and i can remember it'd be like seven thirty in the morning and he was ready to probably run 10 miles you know his energy oh, never stopped yes, yes. um yeah, he, he trained for a marathon a couple of years ago and his marathon running buddies called him the energizer buddy yes i'm sure exactly um what about uh, teaching itself what's your favorite teaching strategy do you have one one thing you just love to do in class? Lisa, you have one? Do you want to go first or you want to go first? Um, I guess I would, we teach on a block system. So our classes are 95 minutes long. And as I, I use all kinds of different teaching strategies, but I think the overarching um, idea is that I want kids to be moving around and doing different things. So there will almost never... I would even dare to say never be a class where kids are sitting at the same desk for 95 minutes in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to find uh, activities that are fun, sometimes activities that are competitive, sometimes activities that are group-oriented, um, just to kind of keep kids moving and keep things engaging um, throughout the entire... So do you do, do, you, do you do learning centers or learning stations? That type of I thing. I do that sometimes, but mostly the whole class is doing the same activities at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're up and moving, though, right? They're up and moving, yeah. They're moving around the classroom because they're talking to different people, and I have different strategies for rotating partners or moving kids um, from one group to another, shifting, you know, shuffling mm-hmm. groups mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, I just, I like for them to, to be able to see the room from different perspectives and talk to different classmates, learn things from different classmates, and keep their, keep, keep them, keep them engaged, mainly. Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting uh, concept. I like it. It's a teaching strategy unto itself to have the kids moving and on their feet, right? 
And right. uh, I always get, it's some of the classes I have now in teaching at the college level, the, the people come in, the kids, and they're used to sitting. Mm-hmm. And when I do things on their feet, it's like, oh, and they're not used to it. And, yes. you know, so it, it, it's, it's a great teaching strategy, but it's real, right? Because when you're in the country, you don't sit down and talk, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Most of the time we're up and moving, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine if I were in Paris or I'm in Madrid, you know, I'm, I never sit, you know, hardly ever. You know, I'm, you want to move, you're moving, yeah. walking and talking to people. And that's why being on your feet. It's, it's a great strategy, and, and I think it's something that we ignore a lot in teaching. You know, that we, you know that it's nice to sit there at your computer, your, your iPad, whatever, you know, and if you got that, you got your technology going, but you're sitting, and we really need to do more of that, right? Be on our oh, feet. Yeah, I also read uh, a few years ago, and I can't remember where I read this, but a neuroscience study that indicated that learning happens better if you do, if you if you only ever sit in one same location while you're studying things, the connections that are made in your brain are not as deep as they are if you study it in one place and then you're in a different place and then you're in a different place and you have different perspective. And Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's part of what's behind um, my idea. The other thing is that I really do try to have kids communicating, actively using the language as much as possible, and um, socializing, socializing. Yeah. 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 So, and, and, you know, I want, I don't want to have only one kid. I have classes that have up to 35 kids in them. I don't want to have only one kid talking at a time, right? So w- whenever possible, I have kids doing things so that they're all using the language and, and, um, and, and getting the practice yeah. that I want. And I, and, yeah, possible. and I think that's a really important point, this idea of socialization when we teach language, <clears throat> because it is a social endeavor. Right? We're talking to people, we're, you know, we're communicating live with this live communication. And the mm-hmm. danger, I think, of technology is that we can't let it control too much, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think we have to keep the human side of the humanity side of this in what we're doing, teaching, right? And Definitely. Eric, do you think that or not? No, no, I, I totally agree. And I think that, uh, I mean, a foreign language is like one of those soft skills, you know, that we're talking about. And uh, being able to listen to people and uh, talk to people and have compassion and uh, understand their point of view. That's, uh, uh, I think that in 2018, that's kind of those global skills, you know, that, uh, that is going to be more and more important. Now, what's your favorite strategy then, teaching strategy? Uh, well, for me, uh, because when I studied foreign languages in France, it was so old-fashioned, you know, it was, even if we studied English or Spanish, we studied it like if it was a dead language, you know, so it was a reading, answering question, translating, and there was no real-life meaning, and that's why, like, so many French people, they, I mean, it's changing nowadays, but for my generation, we, we knew how to read, we knew how to write, we knew how to translate, but then in a real-life situation, we couldn't use the language. Uh, and so what I think is super important is uh, connecting with the students, real-life communication, and proficiency above accuracy. If the students can uh, communicate with a sympathetic native speaker, 
be understood and understand a, a sympathetic native speaker. That's that's huge, and I think that uh, connecting with the student is so important too. Because when you know the student, they don't I, I don't know about you, but uh, they don't say, "Oh, I have Chinese." You know, they say, "Oh, I have this Laotian." Okay. Or for me, uh, you know, they, they, they don't say, oh, now next I have French four. They say, oh, I have, so my last name is Olsen Dufour. It's too long, so everybody calls me OD. So they say, oh, yeah, next I have OD, you know. <laughs> and I think that that connection, if they like the teacher and if you have, if they have the feeling that you care about them as human beings, they would do that... anything for you. And if you let them talk to you, if, I mean, for me, we have no taboo topic. We can and talk about everything that, that, as that it's in the target language. That was another strong point I remember that you had back when you were at Ben Davis. You had this gift of, of the kids, and the kids loved being in your class, but they, they, they had confidence, and, they, and you were able to create that environment where they mm -hmm. felt good about speaking French. And they had yeah. fun, and they, you, you, you built them up. You made them feel good. And yeah. uh, that's another... You know the psychological aspect of language learning is huge. You know the, the all the filters and the effect filters, but 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 it's it's not easy to do. You know, and sometimes yeah. we got to focus on it too because, uh, and especially I think people who've taught longer, you know, the longer that you teach, because you sometimes teachers tend they can get in a rut. You know, we all get in ruts. You know, you have you to face facts. You get tired. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You get tired. You get in a rut. But it's that idea of, of, you know, patting the kids on the back, you know, and encouraging them. And it, it, as Eric said, it's communication. If they go to the country and some, the natives understand them, and they don't have to be in Spanish, they don't have to be Don Quixote, and they don't have to have perfect pronunciation, they don't have to have perfect sentence structure to be understood or to get their points across, right? Absolutely. And you keep people taking language when you do that. The kids mm -hmm. keep taking it. They like it. They keep taking it. And they don't discontinue, right, in, in, in those type of programs. Uh, because it, it, that's the name of the game. You know, we want to have, by the time the kids hit third and fourth year, we want to have a big, at least have a decent-sized class, right? And that's, I think, the challenge to, to for, for language teaching. And sometimes today we get, I think we get all concerned about what we like to say are methods, and sometimes I'm not sure they are really full-blown <laughs> methods, you know. some of them, I'm not going to say anything about some of these methods that are, you know, whether they're methods or not. But I think we forget sometimes the essence of teaching, and it's about the kids, and it's about connecting with them and letting them express themselves and, and, and make them feel good about what they're doing and encourage them. And all these little little peripheral things become huge today and especially with, with all the technology you know floating around that the kids have and we have and you know it's so easy to get off the 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 socialization the human side right mm -hmm. and we can be on this the tech side which is okay for a little bit but we you know we have to come back to reality sometimes yeah, so, uh, so uh, yeah so i think that creating that safe zone in your classroom yes. where they can make mistakes and they're not going to be judged, and uh, you know it's input, output, feedback. And if they make a, a mistake, you know you just give them the, the feedback to improve, and it's uh, and it's safe to make mistakes. So yes, I, I would say that's what I try to 
do daily you know to keep that connection with the kids and and to make it fun right yes and to make it fun too yes yeah the yes. fun and is the, not to take yourself too seriously too <laughs> yes and uh, and be open like when you say something stupid you know uh, let's have a, let's when i say something stupid you know let's uh, have a good laugh about it and uh, i think the the kids like to tease me with uh, all of the words that uh, i struggle with in english you know and uh, they, they, well, we a, we had great times at ben davis and we'd laugh remember We'd yes. laugh at some of the things we'd talk about doing in class, and we'd play these crazy games. And, yes. and, and but we, the kids liked it; they loved what yeah. we did. You know, we, and, we, and, it, and it they were fun. learning much more than if it had been a very oh, uh, yes. stiff environment. Yes, with a rote memorization. Yes, exactly. So making it real is, is the key. Yes. Now, uh, Lisa, what's your biggest challenge when you teach? When your biggest challenge? You know, um, I would say that. Obviously, learning a language, any language, requires practice, right? And Chinese, perhaps more than most, really does require that kids practice between class times. And uh, a lot of the time, especially with younger kids, it's it's really hard to get them motivated to do practice outside class. Um, I actually, you may hear, I don't call it homework anymore because that that's, it's... <laughs> mislabeled as far as I'm concerned. It's practice. Like you have to practice if you're going to learn these skills, if you're going to develop these skills. And so the, the thing that I struggle with is how to motivate the kids to do the practice that they need to do outside of class. As I said, we're on a block schedule, 95 minute classes, but we meet only every other day. So the first week we meet one, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the following week we meet Tuesday, Thursday. That means from Thursday to Monday, those kids, if they don't do anything outside of class, they have no exposure to Chinese there are no cognates, there's no, you know, foothold for kids learning this language. And if they don't practice, then they come back to class, they don't remember anything from the previous class period, and they're, they're lost. So um, finding ways to motivate kids to, uh, to do the practice is the biggest challenge. Ex ex excellent, excellent topic. It being a challenge, but it's a great topic. And I hope that sometimes we get t teachers that aren't teaching yet practicing teachers that listen to the show or uh, maybe some of the colleges ask their kids to listen to the show sometimes. But anyway, what happens, this is good that, that you're saying this for, for the people listening, especially the teachers and things, about the importance of homework, right? Homework is important, right? Yeah, and, well, practice is definitely important. And, and, and um, what, as you call it, practice. Practice outside of class, right? Or practice... Yeah. But, but it, it, yeah. it's totally the reinforcement aspect of learning is, is huge. It is. And, and once the kids get into that and they figure out how, how to do it, the sky's the limit. You know, they just go, exactly. go, go and go and go. That's and a great, great thing. Kids, yeah. kids who at brought... first are not uh, practicing. It's interesting to me. It seems so obvious to us at this point in our lives. But there are students who come to our classes who do not understand the relationship between practice and skill, skill development. Yes. Uh, and, and then to see them make that connection and figure it out and then figure out that if they do practice, they can learn and their learning will, will be, you know, exponential. They'll, they'll really develop quickly. That's a fun thing to see, but of course it, we don't get all of them, right? But I, I think I was going to say that one of, the, one of the key factors in motivating students, I think, is what Eric was talking about, that building relationships 
because as you said, I think a kid who feels connected to you Mm -hmm. wants to do what you expect of them Mm -hmm. more so than a kid who doesn't feel like you care about them. Absolutely. Yeah, I hope we have some beginning teachers listening to this because just beautiful ideas and that that uh, the uh, practice at home, practice outside of class is such an important thing. It is a challenge, though, as you said, and uh, it's it's a challenge. It's a little easier, like on the college segment when I'm doing the college thing. It's easier than it was in high school, and and I always say that unless people have taught six classes a day, you know, the, the college folks, I, I would love to see an exchange someday. And, and this goes way back, and I wrote an article back in, for ACFEL years ago, and it was about uh, um, the connection between the, the levels of language learning from elementary to middle school to high school to college and the, the communication and the lack of communication between all these levels. And I think it's, it's huge, the level. And in many cases, college teachers have no idea of what, mm-hmm. what we did or do in high school. They, didn't, they don't know. And uh, they don't know what it's like to teach six classes a day and to have mm-hmm. 150 kids or to have to grade papers every night and, mm-hmm. and, and grade all those tests, you know. And it's a, it's a job that I don't know uh, if Superman, if there were a Superman, uh, could ever do it, you know, uh, because it is a it is a, a job that never stops. And that's why we're very fortunate to have great people like you guys and like the other day with Liz and Denise. And over the course of the shows that we've done, I think this may be the 50th show we've done tonight. I think this is the 50th show. But we've had a lot of great teachers on the show over the years. And, uh, but it's, it's amazing the great people out there teaching and we don't hear about the good people, you know, and, and the press and everyday life. We, you know, you don't pay attention to all the great people, the great teachers out there, the people that taught us and that taught us the good things in life. And, uh, so that far outweighs all the negativity, you know, that we, that we, that we have now. So, um, what is your challenge in Eric? What's your big biggest challenge in? Um, well, I was thinking about it, and uh, I don't have this situation anymore. But when I was at Lisa School, uh, it was an AP school, and uh, so advanced placement. And I remember that for the at the senior year, you know, for when the students would go to French five AP. All of the AP teachers, we were all fighting for the same students, and we all wanted to have the students in our class. And you were, there was always, I always had that frustration that, um, that in our district, a world language, we don't have a world language requirement. So I was always shocked that some kids could graduate from a high school in 2010, or I mean, it's the same now in 2018, and and. It's a world language. It's it's a, it's an elective class as much as a pottery or scuba diving. And I was I was shocked that in such a, a, a good school district there was not at least I would say like a three year uh, world language requirement. I mean, sending uh, kids to college or to the army or to the workforce 
without any world languages that, that's not preparing the kids for nowadays world. But now at my school, I'm in an international baccalaureate school, um, and I, I love the IB program. And one of the things that I love from the beginning is that kids start in ninth grade with one or two world languages, and we don't even have to talk about are they going to take French next year. It's, they are in the program, and they're going to take it for four years. And you can... Um, that's a common expectation that the, the kids in that little group, they're, they're going to continue and they're going to uh, try to reach fluency, and most of them do. And um, makes I, it, makes I, also, I also have some non-IV students in my class, but they see that the core group is continuing with four years and they, I hope, that they, they want to stay with our little French-speaking family, our little French-speaking group, and continue with us for four years. And I, uh, I really like that. I, I, I don't have that um, personal disappointment when uh, kids tell me, oh, you know, I love French, but uh, I have to take, uh, I don't know, AP Calc BC and AP yes. uh, English uh, Lit, and I don't have room for your language. And, uh, you know, it, you know, it always makes me feel very sad. So that was a, one, that's one of the challenges that I have in that. I, I still don't understand why it's not a requirement that all kids try to take a foreign language and continue it for three years at least. Well, they should, and and it's one. It's it's definitely in the United States not been a one mm -hmm. of our our positive uh, developments in education uh, over the years. You know, we still unfortunately have a lot of monolingual people in our country, and mm -hmm. uh, because they didn't continue, just what you just said. It, had they stayed to the third year or fourth year of French or, or Spanish, and, and maybe then they might have traveled a little bit, mm -hmm. and they might have used their languages a lot more. Uh, and uh, and it makes the difference, that I think, that we have to start talking about our education in a huge global way, right? Like we're global friends, global citizens, right? Yes. And, mm -hmm. and, and it's just not uh, in, in a city. It's, it's in the world. That uh, and we, ha we we kind of grow up with our, our thoughts about the city or a state, but the language is the world. You know, we're talking about friends in the world that we should be doing, and 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 everybody should, and and especially the culture part of it too, right? The culture is huge, and well, uh, knowing how to communicate with people who come from a different place than we come from. I think that even if you don't speak their language having a certain amount of compassion, as Eric was talking about, that, uh, and, and sympathy for people who come from a different place because we live in, you know, in Aurora, Colorado, it's hugely diverse. There are people all around us. You don't have to leave Aurora, Colorado right. to encounter people from all over the world. And many people in our community honestly don't know how to interact with their neighbors. And yes. I think that that's the kind of thing that we can be teaching and, and learning in world language classrooms beyond. It's not just about the, you know, the, the vocabulary and the grammar, right? It's about, it's about knowing how to communicate in a, in a global world. Yeah, and uh, being aware that what is different is not weird. It's just like people on different parts of this, uh, in this world have different habits, different values, different cultures, and they're all worth, worth it. And, and you almost have to take time from from hurrying to get the, through the material and be it in AP classes or in college with the syllabus 
the syllabi that you have to deal with. But there has to be time to do the culture. You know, that it has to be made more of a major thing, right? Mm-hmm. Than it, than it yeah, is now. The tech, textbooks give one paragraph per chapter to culture. They'll say, oh, here's something about football. You know, one chapter, I mean, one that's, paragraph, and, one, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very limited stuff. And so, it, it's, and it's not sometimes culture that you can, you can um, really uh, integrate with the kids, you know, where they can interact with it you know, enough yep. that, that there's yep. not there's not enough situational things there's not enough yep. contextual things sometimes right yep. and and that makes all the difference the context yep. the learning in context um okay so final thing uh, real fast and maybe 30 seconds lisa you, you got to tell the beginning teachers out there listening and the young teachers uh the best things about uh, teaching a, a, a world language what's the the fun part about doing that? Um, I, I think that the fun part about teaching high school in general is the kids. The kids are, you know, I didn't think I was going to like teenagers particularly, but it turns out that I really enjoy them a lot. <laughs> um, they're great and they're, and they're fun and they are, they're properly inspired their hearts are open and their minds are open and they get excited about things and they if you can teach them something they really really feel um the the sense of accomplishment and they feel very uh proud and and excited and um and for me that's the best part about it is the relationships with the students and you know being being the only chinese teacher i see if i if a kid takes four years of chinese at grandview they've had me for four years um, I love those kids, you know, and the Chinese language is, is a fascinating language. The kids find it fascinating and it's just really fun to explore mm-hmm. with them. Wonderful. And Eric? Um, well, I think it gives me hope, you know, that a new generation, you know, uh, I, I see my, uh, upper level students. It's my classroom. It's like the United Nations. I have kids <laughs> some, uh, from everywhere and, uh, much more uh, tolerant and much more uh, open-minded than I was at their age. Uh, and I, when, when I see that these kids are going to go to college and they are going to be uh, in the business world, in diplomacy, in, on the, in the medical field, uh, I, I, they give me hope. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, finally, and uh, Eric, can you give... Uh, um, a good uh, Christmas message in French, three or four line French message to the listeners. Joyeux Noël, meilleurs vœux et une très bonne année à toutes et à tous. And what does that translate to in English? I say the Merry Christmas, have a great year, have Happy New Year, and the best wishes to uh, all of you. Well, that's beautiful. Lise in Chinese. Um, in Chinese, I guess I could say Zhuzhajia. Uh, wow, what was that? <laughs> uh, wishing everyone a happy new year uh, and that everything in the world that they desire should be as they wish. Beautiful. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, both of you. I know you're exhausted. Thanks for having us. And, well, it was so kind of you to take time in this busy season to, to be on our show. And uh, we will, uh, I'll let you know when the show posts and at the uh, at the iTunes, and uh, 
but thank you so much. It was just beautiful here listening to all your wonderful ideas, and I'm sure all the listeners enjoyed it immensely, immensely. And uh, so um, gr- have a great year. Feliz Año Nuevo, eh? Feliz Navidad. Yes. Y que descansen mucho en el año que viene ya. Y para los oyentes también, uh, os deseo unas felices fiestas y que descansen mucho. And I hope all of you have some happy holidays and you get a lot of rest. Y uh, para que podamos empezar el año entrante con mucha, mucha vida, mucha chispa. So, um, everybody, uh, enjoy your year coming up and, and, and we wish you the best. And we will not be on this, uh, back with the show until after January 1st. And we have all kinds of neat things lined up uh, coming up and uh, with some really special people the first of the year. And uh, thank you for being on the show, you guys, again. You're fenomenales, eh? Son estrellas de Hollywood, eh? But uh, you did a beautiful, beautiful job. And we'll be in touch, okay? Okay. 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 Feliz Navidad y feliz año nuevo para todos ustedes, okay? Okay. And we'll, we'll be in touch, okay? Gracias, hombre. Okay. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.